This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety 2023. Join us for Safety 2023, June 5th through the 7th in San Antonio to connect with thousands of fellow safety professionals who are ready to share their knowledge and build relationships. Learn more and register at safety.assp.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you for joining us. Very excited for today's episode, where we're going to be talking about safety training and how to make training stick with your workforce. Joining me today to offer her insights on that is president of Safety Fundamentals and author of Make Your Safety Training Stick, Improve Retention and Get Better Results, Linda Tapp. Linda, welcome. Great to have you here. Yeah. Hi, Scott. It's great to be here. Excited for our conversation. Now, uh, to kind of kick things off, I thought we could take a little bit of an unconventional approach and, and start with chapter two of, of the book, which is uh, titled Why Safety Training is Different. So I thought maybe that might be a good place to start to kind of set the foundation for the rest of our conversation by kind of helping listeners understand, you know, what is different about safety training and, you know, what trainers need to remember when working with their teams. Yeah, safety training doesn't follow a lot of the same laws as regular training because it's really, I say, much more important than a lot of the training that people would get in the workplace. And if you're a safety person, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to this, but um, it, it's really, really important. If our, our safety training is bad, there's dire consequences. And I always use the example of, imagine you had a group doing sales training. Uh, if sales training went bad, they might not sell a car or something like that. It's it's not going to result in injuries or or worse. So there's there's much um, higher stakes on the table when we're doing safety training. In addition, it's also much of it is required by standards, and and that's not uh, the case in a lot of training, the customer service training and all kinds of things that people sit through every day usually aren't required by standards. It's something that the company wants them to do. So there's some extra layers of requirements and things you have to be aware of when you're doing safety training. Additionally, I think sometimes safety training also hits people at different levels. A lot more often you may have someone who has to be trained because they work in a certain department, but they're not necessarily doing the high level work that someone else in the very same class will be doing. So you have a, a wide diversity of, of experience and a wide diversity of responsibility sometimes. That, that's a, a very good point. That, that segues well into, into our, our next topic. Now, you talk about a lot of different training techniques in the book, but I wonder if we could kind of touch on just a few of those that you found to be effective in your career and even more so like knowing which techniques will work best for your workforce. Because as you noted, you know, you have people with different experience levels and doing different tasks and things like that. So, you know, how do you know which techniques are going to work best for, you know, each individual worker? The techniques I talk about a lot are uh, really based on learning science and it's repetition, retrieval, spacing, a lot of the things that we teach people about when they're trying to study for anything. So you look at those techniques and you apply it to a safety training class. Those work very, very well when you're helping trainees to remember information in the long run, which is really the key of safety training. Hopefully people aren't just doing it because it's required, popping in a video, having people watch it, sign, leave the room, because that's what the standard or requirement might say, but it's much more important if they actually have a plan to use it later on. I mean, otherwise you're just wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting their money. 
Um, so it's really important that you build in ways for them to remember it and not just remember it, also transfer it back to the workplace at well. So they can remember it, but if they don't use it, it's still going to be wasted training. So it's really important to, to plan that in ahead of time. Um, and I mentioned the big ways, repetition, retention, spacing, um, lots of things that talk about in the book are predicting is one way to help people remember things. Microlearning is covered in the book as well. Testing, things like productive failure. There's a the whole wide variety of techniques that we can use when we're trying to help people remember what we're teaching them. And you also asked about how to decide certain things. I mentioned the diverse audiences earlier. It's, it's really key when you're planning your training to know who you're dealing with. If you're a consultant, you might not know that. You might go into a facility, have no idea who's going to be in your class. But if you're in uh, the same place every day and you're training the same people, you have a pretty good idea of what kind of uh, background they have, what kind of experience, their level of education, how their reading skills are, what their culture might be. They may not ever want to speak up in class. They might be from a culture that, you know, you respect authority, you don't, you don't respond, you don't question. So all of those things go into deciding how you're going to actually plan your training and the activities that you're going to present to them. You, you, you mentioned a lot of this is standards based. How can whoever's conducting the training, you know, best familiarize themselves with the knowledge they need to be providing the latest best practices that, you know, they need to be training these workers on so they can stay, stay safe and healthy while they're doing their jobs. I think knowing what's coming down the line or coming, you know, in the future, I think it's one of the toughest things for safety professionals to know about because you want to train on some things which aren't covered by standards yet and things that aren't already out really, really well known, but you might be starting to deal with them in your facility. So I think you have to rely on sources like ASSP to really see what's coming down. A lot of those new events are covered at conferences and webinars. I think ASSP does do a great job of really sharing that with, with the ASSP community. Um, and others. It's not just ASSP members can access this stuff. So I think trying to figure that out and then working backwards and creating training that applies to your facility. As far as the standards goes, there's an OSHA document that lists, I think it's several hundred different standards that require training. Um, you can glance through that, see which areas are actually affected or in use in your plant. Some of them are very chemical specific. So if you see a chemical name and think, well, we use that, I need that training. That's really a good first step to really see if you're covering what's required by the standards. And, and, and on that note, have you found, I mean, at any given facility, you could have, you know, any number of things that you need to train people on. Have you found it's been more effective? Like, okay, today we're going to focus on this just, you know, to avoid, you know, maybe information overload, taking kind of a, a staggered approach. So it's not, you know, too much at one time. Yeah, that's that's the idea behind spacing and microlearning. Microlearning is great because it's very small chunks. And like you said, you don't want to overload people ever. They're not going to remember. If you if you gave them eight different chemical safety topics in a day, you know, the chance that they're going to remember what happened the first, the first one you talked about when you come to the last one, there's a lot of confusion that can go on. So if you can possibly break those down into smaller pieces, that's the best way to do it. But that's not always possible, unfortunately. I think a lot of facilities might say, okay, you get a day, a month to do this training or even less than that. So sometimes you don't have an option to not spread things out and not do spacing. The best way to really do that is to try to do some, I would say offline things. So before they get to a class, you can send information, some of the pre-work. You can follow up with a lot of reinforcement as well, which really, really helps the transfer. So if you do hit them with eight different topics in an hour, do some smaller reinforcement things. It could be a text, it could be an email, it could be a refresher, anything like that, or a toolbox talk. 
um, that would really help bring back some of that initial content. And also if you're designing your training in the first place, that's very, very interactive. It'll help them to remember those eight different topics before it even like leaves their brain. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that that all goes back to the planning, I guess, particularly, as you mentioned, you've if you've got, you know, one day a month to do this. And I mean, in, in that case, do you kind of focus on the high, most high hazard tasks first and kind of work your way from there? Or does it kind of just depend on the situation? Yeah, I would I would start off with something that's new to them. So they're not instantly going to sleep. You know, one of the most important parts is getting their attention. If you don't get their attention in the beginning, um, it's you're they're gone. I mean, you know, you know, with them walking in on their phones and starting to read their texts and their emails and daydreaming. So you really want to start off with the attention. So I would start off with something new. It's the most high hazardous thing. Um, and then again, hit it at the end before you finish. Because if you look at some of the graphs in the book, that middle part is where things get a little, you know, anybody has a really hard time sitting still for a whole class. In the middle, you start to zone out a little bit. Um, the little is a good spot to put the activities. So they actually have to get up, move around, do some hands-on things. And the activities are a reinforcement for the content that you already shared. And again, at the very end, you can share a new content at the very end of a class, which is, you know, I would do the second most important thing at the end. But I also really like to use that endpoint as refresher time, because the more reinforcement you do of the content, the more it's going to stick. Perfect segue into my next question, because as, as you noted, it's all about retention and making sure they retain that information. It stays with them after the training is over so they can stay safe and healthy doing their tasks. So what have you found the most effective ways to make it stick, to make sure you know they're, they're keeping that knowledge, they're attentive during the course, so they're absorbing all that information and making sure they keep all that information and training with them you know, after the training is over? I think the training that I write about mostly is based on something called accelerated learning. Uh, there's accelerated learning principles that are, I don't know, maybe 20 different principles. And a lot of that is all based on interaction. So, you know, imagine you're in a class, you know, adults aren't sponges, right? We're not just going to listen, have people talk and have it go mysteriously into our, our brains. So in order to remember and use things, you have to have the interaction. So I talk a lot about activity-based training. If, if I could do an entire training class that was all based on activities, I would I would do that. I have done that in the past, which trainees first look at you like, oh my gosh, I have to get up and move around uh, and do this for an hour. But in the end, it's actually much better for them. And it's much better for you as a, a trainer as well. Part of accelerated learning is that a lot of training should be based on collaboration and teamwork. So those people in your class are gonna learn much better from each other than they would from the teacher, right? They're their coworkers. They have more experiences than the trainer or facilitator is going to have. And they're also going to be the ones back on the job later that can help reinforce that training also. Um, accelerated learning is really focused on the outcome, not so much the method. So instead of saying we must do an eight hour class, we must show this PowerPoint, that's not that important in accelerated learning. You really want to focus on, okay, what do you want them to be able to do? What do you want them to know at the end of this training? And then working backwards from there. And, and you can do all of that really based on activities. When you, you mentioned activities, is that kind of hands-on training with the kind of tasks they're going to be doing or just kind of making it more, more immersive? I'm cur curious to learn more about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything. I mean, it could be as simple as um, asking them questions and having them answer, which isn't really, I'd say, kind of activities I like, but you want to have that interaction very, very often. When I do a, a class, generally, I try to build something in every 10 minutes, which, which sounds like a lot, 
And it does take a little bit of extra preparation on the front end to know what you're going to do when, um, but there's the payoffs are great because by doing something themselves, they're going to remember much longer. Like I can teach people how to deliver better training classes and I can talk and talk and talk, but unless they actually are getting up and trying to do it themselves, they're not going to remember half as much as what I, what I presented in the first place. So activities can be simple, like asking questions, interaction, group discussion, they can be more formal, like games. And I talk a lot about games and how gamification can work in workplace training. And they can be structured games and very long. They can be very short, five-minute games. They can be everything from VR, like simulations, things like that, which are much more detailed. So anything you really want to have people involved in their own learning and not just getting stuff thrown at them, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And I imagine, I like that idea, as you mentioned, maybe doing something every 10 minutes if they know that going in, that that's going to keep their attention, I, I would imagine, or hopefully keep their attention a lot better. Like, okay, in 10 minutes from now, I'm going to have to, you know, maybe answer questions or discuss what I've been learning for the previous 10 minutes. So that would, I imagine, help that retention even more. Or they're trying to sneak out the back, which which does happen sometimes. I've, I've done presentations at ASSP's PDC, and I'll announce in the beginning that this is very interactive. And I've had people kind of sneak out the back because they don't want to they don't want to do stuff while they're sitting in there. But that is the best way. I, I tell the story a lot. One of the first times I used a lot of uh, activities was with a three day safety supervisor class that I did in Kearney, New Jersey, which. If you know Kearney, New Jersey, it's where they filmed a lot of the Sopranos. So it's it's a very industrial, very tough area. Um, so I went to this class and my class literally looked like the Sopranos cast. Like these guys were tough looking, you know, big guys, all crossed arms, um, no smiles. <laughs> they walked in and sat there and they were ready for a three-day safety supervisory skills class, which to them was kind of touchy-feely. It was things like how to give feedback, how to negotiate. You know how it was just not what they were expecting or not what they wanted to be there for. So with that class, I, I told them at the very beginning, we're going to do activities every 10, 15 minutes. And, and they first looked like they were going to bolt <laughs> and leave this, this classroom. Um, after the first day, I had several come up to me and say how much they appreciated actually being able to get up, move around, you know, work with each other. Because the idea of sitting still for three days and watching videos or hearing lecture I mean, that would torture anybody. So I, I think initially some trainees might be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. But once they actually get into it, it's a lot more enjoyable for everybody. If they're actually able to participate, they laugh a lot. You know, I like to throw in a lot of competition so they can compete with their coworkers. Um, with this, with the Sopranos group I had in New Jersey, um, competition got a little extreme because <laughs> they got, they're really competitive. Um, so we had to dial some stuff back, but competition is always really good. I, I always say if I can have people arguing about safety in a training class, uh, I'm really excited about it because how often do they argue about safety? On that, that's interesting. I wonder, uh, of course, you do a lot of planning, but then, you know, once you get in and get a feel for the room and it may be not what you expected, can, I mean, do safety trainers maybe in some situations have to adapt on the fly or have have a plan B if, you know, you get people trying to sneak out the back or, or things like that? Yeah, I think if uh, if you're a consultant, it's tougher to stop people sneaking out the back because you don't usually have that authority. But if, if they work with you every day, you can usually call them out on that and they won't get credit for having attended. But almost all the activities are very flexible. You can shorten them, you can longer them, make them not competitive if that's going to be an issue. Uh, make it one nice, happy activity. Um, 
but most of them you can modify pretty easily. And, and like you're saying, it does take extra preparation, but once you get the basics down and you know what kind of activities you can create and how to run them, you can change them for almost any topic. So it's, I'd say it's more work and learning up front. but then once you get going and start throwing things in, you can really modify things for any class you do in the future. And again, you want to, because you don't want to throw the same activity at them every single class. Like every class we're playing Jeopardy, which is something I don't play personally, but I know that happens sometimes. And people are like, oh, Jeopardy again. So you don't want to do that. You want to have a little bit of originality and you want things that are very specific to that site. Um, the more you can customize it, the better. People love to see photos of themselves or their plants or you know things that they're familiar with. If, if you go and throw a video in of a forklift training in, say, a warehouse and the company you're working with is a laboratory, you know, they're not going to get that much from that. They can get the bare basics, but it's not what they're used to seeing and it's nothing that they can really relate to. And for, I guess, maybe consultants particularly, is that just a matter, you know, well in advance reaching out to folks at that facility just to kind of get an idea of who their workforce is, the kind of work they're doing, so then th they can figure that into their planning process, just opening those lines of communication early on? Yeah, that, that's really key. I mean, before I would ever walk into a place, I'd have to talk to the, the safety people and preferably some of the actual workers who will be in the class as well, because you're not going to know their experience um, their level or what they're used to or what they're expecting or even their personalities unless you get some of that intel before you go on site. Uh, I think most consultants probably have had that situation where they go on site and it's totally unprepared and it may not be their own fault, but it's really, really key to learn about the trainees before they show up. You want to know what they need, um, not just someone saying, okay, we have to have this training class because so-and-so says so. You want to you do a needs assessment beforehand and, and really figure out what's going to help that group of people and what the desired outcome is going to be. I'm glad you, you mentioned outcomes there because that seems to be one of the one of the most key points for trainers to to keep in mind is like and maybe again that goes back to the communication with the facility is like okay what are you hoping to get out of this training and you know what what do you want your your workers to learn what do you want them to leave with because it almost seems like you would have to start from there maybe and and work backwards and, and can I design your training with that in mind? Yeah, you definitely will look at the outcomes. What do you want them to know? What do you want them to be able to do after the training? Um, hopefully you're not just being called in, uh, even internally, just to check a box off, right? The whole purpose is that you're spending the time and the money so people can work more safely. And that could be knowledge, it could be skills. So you really have to figure that part out ahead of time before going in. And if you can figure out how that training class ties into the overall organization, that's even better. You get a gold star for, for doing that. If the organization, you know, one of their main goals is such and such, and you can tie that training class or objective back to that organizational goal, that's going to just help all around. You're going to get more management support. It's going to be easier to evaluate if there's a difference in the end, which is one of the tougher things to do uh, with all kinds of training is figuring out if it actually made a difference. Um, it just, it's really going to help your training be more than just um, a checkbox or something required by standards. All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about uh, safety training and making it stick well with your workforce as, as we wrap up? I, I just think that most safety professionals um, have really never had, let's say, the pleasure or the experience of learning how to do training or what's important in training. I, I know most people, including myself, first started first job. It's like, all right, here's the procedure. Go train that group of people. And really don't know, but it's really a key part of keeping people safe. So all of these methods that I talk about, uh, repetition, spacing, reinforcement, microlearning, chunking, 
can really all also apply to safety professionals and their own professional development. So if a safety professional is trying to really up their training game and learn new techniques, they can do some of these same, same things. They can, you know, just like you study for anything, you can use that to help remember what you're reading. You could read training book after training book. And if you don't actually practice it and learn how to reinforce that content and use that as part of your ongoing professional development, a lot of that won't be remembered. So anyone trying to up their, their safety training skills, I, I really hope that they use some of the techniques that they're sharing with their trainees on themselves too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the title of the book again is Make Your Safety Training Stick, Improve Retention and Get Better Results. Uh, Linda, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. This was fun. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.